Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we have our second sermon today out of Exodus 32. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 35 as we continue to look at control issues. And just in the form of a recap, last week Moses was on top of Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments and God's rules for the Israelites for approximately 40 days. So in Moses' abstinence, his assistant Aaron gave in to the whims of the people. You see, instead of leading them to be faithful in their leader's absence, out of a desire to have their approval, he gave in to their demands. And since they felt Moses was taking too long, they would make a God that they could worship instead of the one true God. They thought they could take all the stuff that they owned and make a God out of it. They gave up an all-powerful, unseen God for a visible God that was made from their own belongings. They gave this idol, this golden calf, credit for the work God had done, for rescuing them from Egypt, for providing them, for providing for them in the wilderness, for splitting the Red Sea. All of these miracles they did not attribute to God, they attributed to this golden calf. You could imagine The insult that God felt with that. God was furious with them. And he tells Moses that he wants to wipe them out and start over. Matter of fact, in verse 10, it says, Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. And I will destroy them and I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Yes, what God was tempted to do in that moment was to do a massive reset. To basically start from scratch and in the promise that he made to Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all of these folks was now questionable. He was going to start over and let Moses be the seed that started it all. He was, he was upset. I like the way Charles Stanley puts it. He says, instead of embracing the eternal God of the universe, the people of Israel chose to create an idol without any majesty, without any greatness, without any holiness or power. This was an absolute insult to God. The Lord made us for himself. So when we choose a relationship with a lifeless object over him, We dishonor him. My friends, when you and I put anything in front of our relationship with God, it dishonors him. And it doesn't have to be bad things. We can put good things in front of God. But still, if they take his place, we dishonor him. You see, dishonoring God places us at an intersection. At the intersection of God's judgment and his mercy. And this is right where the Israelites are at. God's people had turned away from Him. We live in a world that has turned away from God. All of His mercies and provisions did not matter at that moment. People took for granted everything that God has done. They disregarded His promises and His character. Is there any greater definition of those in this world today than those that have turned away from God? So what does God do When we have lost control, because the the title of the message of the past two weeks have been control issues. 
And here the Israelites think that they have taken control of their own destiny when in fact they have lost control of it. Let's look at verses 11 through 14. The first thing we see is that when control issues get the best of you, pray for God's mercy. When you get out of control, when you realize that you've messed up, when you realize that this illusion of control is gone, pray for God's mercy. Because God is fair and he plays by the same rules he set for you. He plays by them as well. It says in verse 11, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord, his God. Now, the, word, the term pacify, there's some other translations that say that he implored or that he sought the favor of. In other words, Moses is trying to appease this, this God, our one true God that is so angry, he's ready to wipe everything out. So Moses is trying to please him. He's trying to seek his, his, his pleasure. He is trying to intercede on our behalf and trying to de-escalate the situation. He says, Oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your people, your own people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such a great power and such a strong hand? Why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. And here's a a key point here. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. When when you read the term, God, please change your mind, there is a battle between those that are free will and those that are ultimate God's sovereignty. We're going to talk about, does God change his mind? He says in verse 13, remember your servant Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself. You bound yourself, is what he said, with an oath to them, saying, I will, I will make your destiny, I'll get it out in a minute. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all of this land that I have promised you to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Then it says in verse 14, here it is, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. So here we see Moses interceding on behalf of his people as God's appointed leader of his people. Moses makes a plea to God. He reminds God of his covenant or his promise with Abraham. In other words, if you to give you kind of like the, the short version of this, Moses is saying, come on, God, you... You promised, you made a covenant with Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And so if you now wipe them out and you wipe out Abraham and everything that you've done, all of this has been for naught. And then these Egyptians and these other people that are following false gods, they will feel like that they've won. God changed his mind. Doesn't that just blow your mind? It blows mine. God's repentance or relenting shows that God can and does change his actions and emotions to human when given the proper proper grounds for doing so. But here's the thing. When God changes his mind, it's not like, well, I wanted Italian tonight, so I think I'm going to do Chinese instead. That's not the kind of changing of the mind we're talking about. We're not talking about the kind where he promises you something, then he changes his mind and and does something totally different that's going to hurt you. When God changed his mind, God's choices, here it is, are consistent with 
His character and His covenants. So in other words, God is not going to change His mind and do anything that is against what He has already promised. Do not read this and think that God is a poor decision maker or He let His emotions get the best of Him. What I do want you to see in here is that so many people have a view of God of being, again, this this nice, warm, fuzzy, grandfatherly figure with a big beard that's just said, crawl in my lap and here, have a, have a Werther's candy and, and let's just talk about life and let me give you a big old hug. I know God can do that. God is a comforter. But God is also a God of anger and a God of judgment. And he does not take lightly when his people turn away from him. You and I should be thankful that God changes his mind. Many times in the Bible, God wants to annihilate sin and those who commit it, but he changes his mind due to his character and his mercy. Think about it this way. If God had not changed his mind, we would all be bound for hell with no chance at redemption or salvation. There's three reasons God is changing his mind in verse 14. Number one. Intercession. Moses intercedes on behalf of his people. In other words, he speaks up for them. Moses loved the people that he led, even when they did things that were inconceivable and unlovable. Let me ask you something. Do your prayers reflect that? Do you intercede for people that have hurt you? Do you intercede for people that have disappointed you? Do you stand up for those that cannot stand up for themselves? Moses stood up for these people that he was leading. So there was intercession. And then there was repentance. There was repentance. The people repented of their sin in idol worship. Repentance is something that everyone needs, but so few are willing to do. Because repentance means to turn. To turn from your selfish sins and your selfish ways and to turn to God. You see, if you turn, you've got to turn away from something to turn. To something else. It's a changing of directions. And one necessitates the other. But nobody, it just seems like in churches and even in the, the highways and byways of the world, nobody wants to repent. They want to blame everybody else for their sin and their problems. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, we own everything that we do. Jesus himself called for repentance in Luke 13, verses 1 through 5. It says, about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. So Jesus said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all others from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst of sinners in Jerusalem? No, he said, I'll tell you again, unless you repent, you will all perish too. You see, repentance is not a pleasant experience, but it is a blessing. Repentance allows you and I to own the depths of our flaws, our mistakes and our sin, own that and experience the greatness of God's forgiveness, love and mercy. Let me put it this way. If you are unwilling to repent, you will never know the full depth of God's love. 
I can go ahead and tell you, if you've ever done somebody wrong or somebody has done you wrong, and then you go to them and you ask for forgiveness and forgiveness is given and you change the ways that you're doing, you can have a better relationship than you ever had before because you know the depths of that forgiveness and the depths of that love. So when God calls you to repent for your sins and he calls me to repent for my sins, that is how we experience his love and forgiveness. So there was intercession, there was repentance, and then there was compassion. Folks, God felt compassion on his people. God looks at you today in your sinful state. And he looks at me in my sinful state. And I don't know how, but he loves us anyway. He loves us and has compassion on us. God cannot look at you struggling and do nothing. He loves you regardless of where you are in your obedience to him. The second thing we see is that God's people broke their covenant with God. Not only did God make a promise to the people, the people made a promise to God. Verse 15 says, Then Moses turned and went down the mountain, and he held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. In other words, the Ten Commandments, two tablets of the testimony. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. So God, whether it be with his finger, his chisel, or whatever, he wrote the words on those tablets. It was not Moses doing it while he dictated something. God himself wrote those Ten Commandments. So when Joshua heard the boisterous noise of people shouting below them, he exclaimed, Moses, sounds like a war in the camp. But Moses listened and he replied, no, it's not a shout of victory nor a wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. He's like, no, this isn't a, this isn't a war. This is a party. Verse 19, when they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. Here we see Moses put an end to the people's wickedness. Now, I remember back in the 80s, there were countless numbers of movies made about the parents go away and the kids have a party. And they try not to get caught. None of y'all fine Christians had ever done that. But I've heard that that's been done before. When the adults are gone, hey, hey, party time. Can you imagine Moses being up on the mountaintop, getting God's word inscribed on these tablets for 40 days, and he comes down and he sees them worshiping a golden calf, and having a party. And when I say have a party, I don't mean a fellowship over in the fellowship hall. I mean that kind of stuff you see when you walk up and down Bourbon Street in New Orleans. They're having a good time. And again, calling it worship. If you've ever caught someone misbehaving, you have an idea of how Moses felt. If you have ever been caught, you know how the Israelites felt. But the breaking of the tablets is symbolic. The breaking of the tablets is a physical illustration of how God's people broke their covenant with God. It says in verse 20, He took the calf they made and burned it. Then he ground it into powder. 
and threw it into the water and forced people to drink it. That's pretty extreme, isn't it? Not to be crass, but Moses forced the people to ingest this gold powder. And again, I'm not trying to use bathroom humor here, but I'll just say this, that gold is a metal that does not digest. So if you understand the the human digestive system and you know that they drank that stuff, you know it eventually came out. Not trying to be gross, but I'm trying to get you to see what they were worshiping. They had taken their own earrings, their own gold, their own, all of their own stuff and melted it and made this calf and now they have to drink it and what was once valuable that they were wearing to show off how rich they are is now poo. That's what sin does, my friends. That's what it does. It takes those things that are valuable, that we think are so valuable, but at the end of the day, we consume it. They can, It consumes us, and at the end, we're left with nothing of value. How many of you want to go mining through that to get the gold back? No thanks. What a waste of resources. But what a fitting picture of what happens when you take control of your life and you take it away from God. All that has value apart from God eventually is waste. There are people that have garages filled with toys. There are people that have houses that are immaculate. There are people that have vehicles that cost as much as my first home. And I'm not judging that. Look, if if you've got those things, enjoy them. Have fun with them. God gave them to you to honor Him and have fun with Him, but at the end of the day, don't put them before God. The third thing we see is that Aaron is a good example of a bad leader. Verses 21 through 25. Finally, he, meaning Moses, turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such a terrible sin among them? In other words, he's saying, Aaron, what were you thinking, dude? Aaron said, don't get so upset, my Lord. Aaron replied, you yourself know how evil these people are. Mm. They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us up here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold, jewelry, take it off. Now, this next statement is hilarious if it wouldn't be so sad. He says, when they brought it to me, I simply threw it into the fire and boom, the calf came out. Wow. It's like those little sea monkeys you used to see. You had water and they all kind of form, right? No. Hey, look, I just threw that stuff in here and boom, out popped the cow. Aaron, check out what Aaron was doing. Aaron blamed those he led for their poor decisions rather than his decision to not lead them as God ordained. My friends, if God has put people under you to lead, then you lead them. Do not make excuses. And that's not just as a corporation or a CO. That's for a father, for a mother, for a wife, for a husband, 
for a church member that when God has given us people to lead, we lead them with integrity and we don't do what Aaron's doing here. Because God will not tolerate any Christian who does not share the gospel or do his will with them, saying, well, I would share the gospel of God, but you know how evil this world is. Again, I got that vision of those people, those older people that you go to any Hardee's in, in, in America on a, um, on a, any morning, and you're going to see a group of older people solving the world's problems. And talk, eating their biscuit, drinking their coffee, reading their newspaper. Hey, look, hey, if you're doing that, do it. Hey, have fun. Enjoy that. I'll be doing that one day, I'm sure. Wherever, wherever Don I'll be, I say, honey, I'm going to go get her biscuit and, I'm going to go see a couple of friends and I'll be back in an hour. And we're going to talk about the world's problems. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about people we know and even people we don't know. But the point is, is that we can sit around and talk about all of these things, but we must lead because Aaron blamed those he led for their poor decisions rather than his decision to not lead them as God ordained. I got news for you. If you're in a business or you're a part of an organization and the whole organization goes down in tanks and they call in the leader and the leader says, well, I would have done it, but the people just, they want to do what they want to do. That leader would be out of a job because he or she is not leading. Why did Aaron cave like a cheap stepladder? Aaron sought the approval of his people over God's approval. You see, compromise always follows the fear of people. And I'm talking, you're talking to a person that talking about fearing people. Yeah, everybody wants to be liked. But there are times when I have to lead. There are times when you have to lead. And we have to make calls that not everybody is going to agree with. But we need to know between us and the Lord that we're doing what he has called us to do. And not bowing down to the whims of the people. Look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I'm not one of those one of those pastors or one of those leaders that says I'm the pastor and that's the way we're going to do it. I believe in in leading together. I believe in bringing people up in the uh, in uh, getting everybody on the same level. But sometimes it's just impossible to do. We cannot fear people. Parents, do not fear your children. Let them run your life. Grandparents, don't let your grandkids run your life or your kids run your life. Don't let anybody run your life. Stand up and don't fear people, but fear God. If you've got somebody in you that's trying to manipulate you or to run your life, you take them to God. You pray for them. And you follow God's will and see what happens. You see, Aaron sought the approval of people over God. And then verse 20, I mean, this last verse in 24, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Aaron lied. When Aaron said, we just threw that gold in there and poof, there's a cow. The problem is, is that if you go back to verse 4, it says, Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it. In other words, some translations say he fashioned it with an engraving tool into the shape of a cow, much like a sculptor. Does that sound like he just threw it into the fire and poof, the cow came out? No. Aaron molded it and worked it and made it into this image to please the will of the people that were bossing him around. You see, Aaron lost control of God's people who had lost control of themselves. 
It says in verse 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control. It says, much to the amusement of their enemies. Now, again, if you look at the translations of this, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what it says. That party that Moses walked up on, they were naked. Yeah, they were naked. They were having a good time. I, I guess it, I, I say a good time. I don't know if it was a good time or not. But I'm just telling you, it wasn't a good old Baptist fellowship. It was as nasty and as vulgar as even more you can imagine. And these are God's chosen people acting this way. And I don't say that in judgment of them because we could be the very same position. They were as evil as evil can be because they lost control by trying to take control of their own lives apart from God. And then we see in verses 26 through 29, there's no way to sugarcoat this. Sin must be punished and eliminated. It says in 26, So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are in the Lord's side, Come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Just a little history on the Levites. The Levites were the tribe of Israelites that were given the role of being the priests of all the Israelites. The Levite tribe. Those from the tribe of Levi. Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now this is pretty barbaric. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. And the Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. Then Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, for you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. And today you have earned a blessing. Now, this is not... A Bible verse that you can quote and say, okay, now I need to go out and kill people. That's no longer necessary because of the work of what Jesus Christ has done. But what it does mean, I know it sounds extremes, but the reason you have to do this is because God is holy. And if you don't know what holy means, holy means God is set apart. Would you want to drink water that had just a little bit of poison in it? Would you want to pet an animal? And they say, oh, he's only bitten a few people. No, you wouldn't want to do this. The Levites who chose to follow God were commanded to arm themselves and to go back and forth in the killing. This was not the command of a prophet, but of a holy God. They had to sever ties with families and friends to obey the command. And God did this time and time again throughout Scripture because he does not tolerate sin. And I want you to understand why there had to be this total wipeout of all those that were following Their own ways. (coughs) We know that when Jesus was on the cross, that the sky went dark. And many scholars believe that that is when your sin and mine was placed on Jesus Christ. And my friend, if God cannot look at his only son, Jesus Christ, with your sin, the, the man who never sinned, 
But your sin and my sin are on him. And God has to turn his back. And the sky goes dark because sin is upon him. If he cannot look at his only son, what makes you think that he can look at you and me in the midst of our sins? He is a holy God. And the reason there is a total annihilation here is because if you even leave just a little bit of sin in your life, it will come back. Time and time again. That's why repentance means not to say I'm sorry and to hold on to a little bit of it. Repentance is is to say no and change directions. Because God takes sin seriously. And finally, we see that Moses offers himself as an atonement for his people's sin. Verses 30-35. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So the party is over. They all feel bad about what they did. Many people have been killed. And now he goes back up to the mountain to try to intercede for them one more time. It says in verse 31, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, what a terrible sin these people have committed They have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you only forgive their sin, but if not, check out what he says. But if not, if you won't forgive them, erase my name from the record you have written. In other words, Revelation talks about the Lamb's book of life. In other words, he's saying, whatever you want to give to those people, give to me. I'll take their punishment. Verse 33, but the Lord replied to Moses, no, I will erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now go, lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshipped the calf Aaron made. Now, that just seems like a little tag at the end, but I'm going to explain to you the significance of that. There cannot be a clearer picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ than in this passage. Just as Moses interceded for his people, Jesus Christ has interceded for you, my friend, and for me. The person who sins is responsible for their actions. It cannot be passed off. You cannot blame someone else. Look at the example of Aaron. But although God's people repented, there still needed to be an atonement or a payment for their sin. That's why we needed Jesus Christ. Look, God forgives you of your sin when you confess it. But that, you remember the whole thing in the Old Testament with the animal sacrifices and the blood of the animals being spilled on the mercy seat and on the altar so people could be forgiven of their sins? That has not gone away. Sin is serious, but except now, because we live in a post-Jesus world, he takes that payment. He takes the brunt of that sin. And check this out. Notice at the end it said that God sent a plague to him. This is what I want you to understand. Do not be tricked into thinking that if you sin and there's no immediate consequences, that you got away with it. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Maybe even some of the situation our world is in right now is because some of those chickens are coming home to roost. 
But my friend, just because you get away with something does not mean that you got away with it. It just means that the punishment hasn't come yet. All sin is punished. And even if we sin, we ask for forgiveness and God forgives us, there will still be consequences for that. God forgives sin and wickedness when we repent and come to him in faith. But he does not always prevent us from experiencing the consequences of our wicked behavior. So our conclusion is this. Do not let your control issues cause you to sin and pull away from God. Just as Moses interceded for his people, Jesus intercedes for you. Peter Kraft tells this illustration. He says, mercy goes beyond justice. It does not undercut it. If I forgive you the $100 debt you owe me, that means I must use $100 of my own money to pay my creditors. I cannot really make you $100 richer without making myself $100 poorer. (coughs) If the debt is objectively real, it must be paid. And if it is my mercy that repays your debt, I must pay it. And so here we go. Here's the the payoff. (coughs) That is why Christ had to die. Why God would not, could not simply say, just forget it. Instead, he said, I will forgive it. And it meant that if we did not pay it, he had to pay it himself. Again, we see because of God's character and because of God's promise, he made the rules about sin. He knew that we could not pay that debt. So he sent his son to pay that debt for you and I. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us, sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Folks, regardless of what control issues you have, know that God is ultimately in control. And I encourage you, To trust Him today. If you need to confess sin today, now is the time to do it. If you need to repent from a sin today, now is the time to do it. If you need to own what you've done and to ask God to forgive you, today is the day. If you need to know for sure that you are forgiven of your sins and you are a child of God and that Jesus Christ has come into your life to make you a new creature, today is the day. If you've accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized, today is the day to make that decision. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray, whatever it may be. This time of invitation is for you to respond. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time this morning. And it is my prayer that, Lord, if anything that has been said or done and people have been convicted by your Holy Spirit, the Lord They would make a commitment today, Lord, in front of people that would do nothing but encourage them. You don't want people to leave here without hope. You want them to leave here forgiven and cleansed and renewed. So, God, if there's someone here that makes a decision today, may you prompt them to do so. Do not give Satan the victory by them holding back. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?